0: Welcome to the Explorer Poet Podcast, an exploration of the blurry line separating our physical world from our abstract realities.
1: You talk about something called the soul's high adventure. Man, this. Born with a certain functioning. A kind of house of meaning that we dwell in. A clandestine land found underneath
0: your floorboards. These represent a common human inheritance. The common vocabulary of rituals and symbols. This let you know where you are.
1: Such a, such a hero has done so-and-so, and so there. is your model.
0: What am I going to do, quit? That's not an option. You got to keep on keeping on. Life's a garden, dig it? You make it work for you. You never give up.
1: Follow your bliss. I mean, find where it is and don't be afraid to to follow it.
0: Conversations and stories, myths and reality, science and the gods we worship, the esoteric and the everyday. Come explore with me. My guest today is Jason Smith, a union analyst, author, and podcaster. Jason is a graduate of the C.G. Jung Institute New England and holds a master's degree from Pacifica Graduate Institute. He is the past president of the C.G. Jung Institute Boston and has over 20 years of clinical experience. Jason is the author of Religious But Not Religious, Living a Symbolic Life, and the creator of the Digital Jung Podcast. I truly enjoyed my conversation with
1: Jason, and I hope you do as well. Okay, hi, Jason. Hi, hey, Josh. How are you? I'm doing well. It's good to have you on. Yeah, thank you for the invitation.
0: Yeah, I reached out originally because um, I've become a pretty big fan of your podcast. i have have over the last several years have become more and more interested in the ideas of Carl Jung and mm-hmm. exploring the depth psychology and kind of his i'm reading I mean right now I'm reading the red book so you can you can kind of see where I, where I'm at with Carl Jung, but um yes. uh. I wanted to reach out because with you, with your podcast, a couple of things, just compliments. I want to throw out is the style is is very. I mean, I love it. Like it's uh, the pace is good. Your voice is good. The content, like I feel like you're just spot on. I, I find myself sharing your content sometimes with friends. And then the other thing that you do is um, length of podcast, and then the the cuts that you do with music, and I just think it's great. I think it's it's all works really well together. So. Well yeah, done.
1: Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, I uh I found a a, a format and it it works and I I stick with it. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Um and then the podcast itself is a uh, the podcast came after publishing the book, correct? And then the podcast was kind of an extension of that conversation or was it in in tandem?
1: Yeah, it it, it did come after the book, I mean, the the first couple of episodes were right before the the official launch of the book, okay. Um, and part of the uh, um, impetus for launching it at that moment was the book. I wanted to right. uh, have a, a a platform, partly to promote it, but partly to, like you say, extend the. Uh, the exploration of of what was in the book Um, and really it has um, it's gone a fair distance from the book itself it's become the place where I take that idea of the symbolic life and I have just kind of uh, deepened my own experience and understanding of it and Push that forward. So, um, in, in many ways, I think if I were to go back and write the book, I would do it differently based on what's come out of the podcast because it's interesting. It allowed me to yeah. uh, understand even more what I was hoping for and, and and talking about.
0: Yeah. Well, it's interesting because a book is a project and it, it has to have right. a beginning and an end. But the project of what you're actually going, like what you're actually interested in, is not a, is not a project with an end. And so there's something <laughs> right. about the podcast and then even calling it digital Jung is just uh, there's something about having that technology at your disposal, where you can just keep exploring the idea forever. And it, it may sound, um, I don't know, a little bit like pushing a rock up a hill, but. At the same time, it's if it's the thing that you know it's Joseph Campbell's bliss. Then there's something beautiful about the technology that allows you to do that.
1: Yeah, I am grateful for the technology. I mean, I, 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 um, it is you know the the name Digital Young uh, really has a a kind of double edge to it because the technology does allow me to uh, have that format. It does allow me to. uh, reach uh, far more people than I would have even imagined um, but it's also uh, 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 an acknowledgement of the challenges that the the technology brings and and trying to walk that line right yeah. because the Part of the idea of the symbolic life is the need for uh, these internal spaces, psychic space, and technology very often interferes with it. And if, if there's a way to use it, at least a little bit, to open up some of those spaces uh, for people, uh, that's my hope. Uh, and so it's, it always feels like I'm, I'm, I'm walking a line, uh, with it in that way.
0: Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. It's, um, it's also funny when you say the name Carl or like digital Jung and you think about Jung being in the digital age, he was a little bit before that. So that's also, that also jumps out. to you.
1: Yeah. And he was, uh, um, very skeptical, skeptical about technology and, uh, um he somewhere he talks about how he, you know, if uh he would walk into a room and they were recording an interview with him, the the technology would inevitably break mm. in front of him. Just uh he never he never really <laughs> trusted it. And yeah. Um so uh this is definitely a very different world than it is trying to bring something into the digital age that is Not just, um, not just about the digital age, but but can kind of link us back to uh, what we had prior to it.
0: Yeah, yeah. You can almost look at it as myth because the the process is the same, but the contents are new. And so you, even with technology, it's almost similar with anything. It's um, technology can be consumed to your detriment, or you can use it to produce. And grow. Yes.
1: Yeah. yeah I, you know, it, it I'm, if, you know, I, I don't know how, how I, where I landed on that entirely because I, I do get the idea that, you know, it's, it's a tool and that we can make use of it. But it's also a tool that has its own imperative, right? When you have a technology, it wants to be used. Um, and, And so there's always this dialogue between the human and the the technical. And and too often, we don't have a strong enough hold on the human, Mm -hmm. on on our own minds. We don't know our own minds and souls enough to hold the technology at the right distance. And too often, it rides over us, I think. Yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, it's a big challenge because, especially, I've got young kids, and so for me, thinking mm-hmm. about where is that from a parent's perspective, where is that boundary, where is that you know fuzzy line? Because right. it's going to be the future of their world. But how do we make it a tool and not their world?
1: Right, right, right. How do you make it something that serves imagination and doesn't foreclose imagination? And that's that ties mm, right. in with the whole consumer side of things. Right. Everything is about consumption, and it's not about creation. And this is with the tension because creation requires spaces where nothing's filling it, right? Nothing is coming in, so there isn't input. And, and so there has to be this kind of uh, this dance between turning things off and then turning them back on when we need them.
0: Yeah, it's fascinating. It's like, um, because even if I think about the way that I consume a podcast like yours, Mm
1: -hmm. where
0: it's, to me, it's it's educational, it's information that I'm taking in. And so, I could be driving in the car listening to the radio, which is entertaining, it'll get me through the drive. Right. Or I could listen and consume this content. And then what happens is uh, like what you're saying, you have to have a time where you you turn it on and a time where you turn it off because then right. if I consume something like your content and then I go for a walk, for example, now I'm yeah. in this, I don't have any noise, like I don't have headphones on, I'm not looking at a screen, I'm just by myself walking, you know, in, in I'm in Arizona right now, so walking in the desert and... um That's when that empty space comes to me where all that content that I've put in, like it starts bouncing around and then I start having
1: some original ideas of my own. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's exciting when, when it comes back, you're having your own conversation with it or you're pushing back against an idea or following something through. And and when you are participating in it in that way, right? You're engaging it. It becomes material that your mind and soul and imagination are working on. Then it's that's a, a, a wonderfully creative place.
0: Yeah. It's almost like it becomes, uh, you've got this big pool of potential down there and, and you, you might be able to add some to it and, and in hopes that it could something could bubble up that's helpful in the future.
1: Right, right. You know, one of the reasons that I, in the podcast, I always have a a piece somewhere in the middle, which is a piece of a, a story or a poem. You know, part of that is to have at least an interlude that is not, not the learning piece, not the teaching piece, but just the imagination piece, mm-hmm. and knowing that you know each person uh, will hear that material in their own way, and, and uh, it's one of my favorite pieces of the podcast where you know, finding the right uh, short piece, the piece of a fairy tale or a myth. Yeah uh, to bring in. Um and I try not to interpret, right? Try not to get too hard and fast, but but keep it as much as possible um kind of suggestive of possibilities. So there always hopefully is room for the, the listener to come in and Uh, be linking that to something in their own experience right that linking these archetypal energies and themes to uh their own struggles their own celebrations you know their own uh, conflicts
0: yeah that's beautiful it's um it's almost the the imagery is almost like opening a lot of doors and just allowing people to walk through the door that they would like to walk
1: through, right? And the, and the image has its own um, effect, you know. It, it if you open up to it in in a particular way, you begin to participate in the energy that's in that that image, right? And that. That I hope is kind of the, the takeaway that yeah. someone uh, experiences that, and they start digging through their own—I don't know—their own poetry collections and yeah. back and reading Grimm's fairy tales or something like that.
0: And the reason that you want to avoid the interpretation is because you want to give them the energy, and then let their whatever their say their psyche or whatever their their filter is that they're bringing it through. You want, you want to just give them the freedom to follow that, and uh, this kind of this kind of uh, idea gets us into this re- like this idea of us being religious human beings, right. uh, and and yeah. that connection through the symbology. I'm just uh, this the, the reason I'm bringing this up now is because the way that it hits on this this idea that um, the story is for everybody. But everybody should be interpreting it in their own way, and from a, for a, for all all of recorded history, that's not the message. That has not been the message. The message has been that there is a story,
1: and that everybody yeah. needs to understand it the same way. Yeah, you know, I I think that uh, there is a period of time when uh, the story is just the story, and it's not you know um, it's not attached to doctrines and it's not even about interpretation there's a there's a there's a stage in the I think in the sort of the mythological history uh, of of the human being where the story has an effect it it Transports the individual into an experience into a time once upon a time, and they enter into that space and they encounter um, uh, their gods or goddesses, their uh, uh, the what we would call you know archetypal energies. And in that encounter, be affected by by it and be changed by it. One of the religious impulses, one of the or the impulses of the religious mind is to understand the human mind is to understand we want to know what we're engaged in and so then comes the process of attaching experience and story to doctrine and dogma and you know, um, Jung points out that the dogma was understood as a symbol originally, and it, it's a it's an opportunity to enter into an experience and the dogma itself makes sense if you 've already had the experience so if you come with a a, a an, an encounter um, with some energy, and then you you bring it to the doctrine. The doctrine makes sense, but what we've done is we've we've reversed it, and we we put the doctrine first and say you you have to start here, and and then take that in, and it becomes this very intellectual exercise, only a cognitive exercise where you assent to a particular set of ideas, um, and you lose the participation in it, Um, I think there are certainly areas in the religious world today that are open to the experience. Mostly they come in the, the mystical traditions, the mystical elements of any tradition. But we really have lost, uh, across the board, not just in religion, we've lost the participatory nature of, of experience. And this, is, I think, is another way in which technology becomes a problem, because technology teaches us that uh, the accumulation of information is what we're after, rather than an encounter with knowledge or wisdom. And that's a very different kind of experience.
0: Yeah. It's at the, way, the way you were describing the dogma and the doctrine being flipped. Or, or like the – it's almost like the belief in the, in the system must be achieved before the experience that's possible through the system. Right. And right. The, for me personally, having I, – I grew up in a very religious upbringing. And mm. I experienced that a lot. I experienced that a lot of being told this is what it was like this is what the experience should be when it comes. Right. And the experience never came. And then it this is this is one of those words that you like to talk about, but like growing up in a religious setting never provided me with a spirituality. Right. And then the shortly after leaving my religious system, I had a spiritual experience. That that not only had I never had before, but when I had it, it didn't confirm anything that I had been taught within the system. Right. It it almost like because I finally experienced it, it completely just washed away any
1: attachment that I had to the system. Right. Right. Yeah. The it it it's. Too often, right? That the experience comes outside. The experience has to be separate. You have to leave, leave home, go into the forest, and and then you encounter the uh, uh, what's waiting for you. Leave the leave the tradition. Um, it's interesting it, to hear you describe that because you know my experience really was not. Being raised in a religious household. There was some aspect of it, but it wasn't uh, emphasized. Um, and so, in my own experience, I've been able to come to the traditional uh, system, the traditional religions, without a sense of the disillusionment and the disappointment or the, the, just the lack of life uh, and uh, part of where I feel drawn by the work cold in a sense is experience of aliveness that's what I hope that people can start to experience whether they find that within a, a, a particular religious tradition or outside that aliveness, that has a religious quality, and you know, I I, I use the word religion deliberately, um, partly because it touches a, a, an aspect of experience that people have strong feelings about, and and sometimes I think that when we talk about spirituality, which I think is important, the way you describe it I think is great. Uh, you know, you you couldn't find the spirituality within the religion, and I think that, that's the big problem: is that those two have been um, kind of uh, uh, divorced from each other. Uh, but part of the problem of of when we talk about spirituality is we keep it often easy for ourselves, right? Where we, we we can uh, fashion a, a congenial spirituality that we feel good about, but that doesn't ever really kind of push us and challenge us and make us kind of wrestle with something yeah. and, and struggle with it. Yeah. After coming from a
0: religious system that uh, that hinders kind of that hinders that spirituality, to then go feel it, it can be a very um and you just feel good it just feels really good you know and mm-hmm. the way you said you have to get out and be away and be in the forest like that's exactly what it was for me was a lot of solo trips to the woods mountains hiking meditating mm-hmm. certain chemicals certain substances and it gets you, it gets you to a point where you experience that that experience of seeking spirituality and then first experiencing it that like aliveness Mm -hmm. and there's a part of the whole system of religion that almost especially the religion i grew up in in i grew up in the lds church or mormon church and there's this phrase in the in their scriptures that says men are that they might have joy and it's almost as if the entire objective is that you need to have joy and so when you're not experiencing joy you're kind of going like why what's wrong with me why is this And then, um, what you, oh, that's what you were, This I'm finally getting back to what you were saying. You were saying that it's just about feeling that spirituality, but there's not really an impetus to grow or to be better or to change. And so, what ends up happening is just sitting with that, like you go looking for experiences that make you feel good.
1: Right. Right. You go looking for the peak experience. Right. And, and the... And the challenge with that, or the problem with that ultimately, is that it can often keep someone at the beginning of the process, like the first falling in love experience. Falling in love is fantastic. And uh, you want to have that. But then life does other things. And if you can't go through the valley of the shadow of death, so to speak, then it's an incomplete spirituality. Um, You know, I think about, uh, uh, so when you said that about joy, it made me think of, you know, Jesus's uh, statement about, I came to uh, bring life and that abundantly. Life is different than joy. (laughs) Yeah, joy or happiness or contentment or whatever it is, peace. Right. Right. And and meaning is different than happiness, right? right. The, the the way of meaning, which is something I talk about, means facing things. And for me, when religion is doing its job, it is helping to expose the person to life and, and helping to uh, give them a means of engaging life. One of my favorite uh, quotes of Jung comes from a seminar that he gave. Uh, it was recently published in a a, a, a book on uh, a seminar on visionary art. And he's talking to his early students, and he's talking about psychology. And I think the same can be said about religion. But he says, um, the, the problem with psychology is that people think that the moment they get a word, they get a name for something, they've got it. And then they stop, right? right? I understand that this is my anima problem, uh, and that's that's as far as they go, and that doesn't mean anything. The, the word anima in itself doesn't mean anything, right. because it's an experience; it's not a concept, and, and it's something you have to uh, get bowled over by, and, and not just uh, sort of intellectually say, "Oh, I see, that's what it is," and put it in a corner. Yeah. And he says, "We we can never." forget that psychology is only a stammering stopgap measure in order to be able to talk about life at all and and i feel like that's true for the, the 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 sort of the ideas the concepts the doctrines of religion as well if they are not means of opening us to life then they are in the way, they're barriers, right? And they can be used in both ways. You can, you can engage them in ways, you can engage psychology so that it brings you to life, you can engage religion that way, or you can use them as ways of avoiding the difficulty. And then when you do that, uh, I don't want to deal with that, uh, then it becomes something that you expect somebody else to do. Right, Then you start to project it out there and say, "If you would just do that, then everything would be fine. You change, not me.":
0: Yeah, and that's the that's the point where the rubber hits the road where it's not just a stopgap anymore. And now right. lately, I've been thinking of, about it a lot as um there's well there's mental there's like uh psychology so you can go to a therapist you can go to a depth psychologist or or a psychoanalyst um but there's this idea of like mental health in our country or in our mm. in like the western world there's this idea of mental health yeah and i think what you're talking about at least in my mind what you're talking about kind of gets to the there's like a problem with the statement mental health and if I almost think about it like a lot of the personality quizzes that come out or like the personality labels people like to get their their four letter codified definition of themselves and then just roll with that looking for other people with the same four letter acronym and right. um it just seems like these should these should all be starting points they
1: should not be conclusions absolutely absolutely <laughs> Where is there an end point? Right. And that's we're always seeking to <laughs> arrive somewhere, and where are we going to arrive? Yeah. Because if that's the if if we if it just stops, well, what do you do in the next moment? Because it 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 doesn't stop. Life just keeps going on, and yeah. you still have to uh, yeah. get up and do the next day. Yeah. And I think that's where Jung's word, which is a word I, I wish didn't fall out of use, was neurosis. He used that as a uh, the, the experience of something out of alignment, a person out of alignment with themselves. Um, and uh, you know that was obviously that's before we brought it into mental health, which in many ways, I think is an idea that gets uh, kind of subsumed under um, uh, the, the medical model, and it's in in Jung's. Jung was a doctor, uh, and so the, the medical side was important. But he was also recognized in psychology. This idea that there was a meeting of the uh, the physiological aspect of the human being and their spiritual needs, and and he talked about a religious function of the psyche uh, and the idea of neurosis being this uh, uh, being at odds with oneself and being out of alignment with oneself. And one of the things that he talks about with neurosis is that it's not something to get rid of; it's not something to Be sort of excised out of a person's life because it contains an important seed of that individual. It's something left out of the individual's experience that needs to be met and incorporated in some way. And so his uh, understanding, at one point he says, um, life always has to be tackled anew. So there's never going to be a time when you get rid of problems. There's always this time where life is going to confront you with something and how do you meet it and how do you grow around it uh, and, and continue to kind of widen your experience rather than try to hold on to um, some place of what's known or what's comfortable or or what is conventional or something like that
0: yeah it seems a very western ideal this utopia this place where everything stops hurting where everything is bound, like everything is just good
1: right right i i, I think of, I, of the um i call it the self-improvement project that we're constantly on and not that we shouldn't be uh developing and growing but this, you know um There's so many. I mean, you can go to any website and get the list of the 10 top things you need to do to be the most stellar version of yourself that ever existed on the planet. And it's like uh, being made for joy. It's like you can only feel disappointed against that ideal. That's right. right. And end up going, what's wrong with me?
0: Yeah. So then if the answer is not to follow some... Or okay, maybe it's maybe we go back in the conversation, and the answer is uh, not to look at a story, or to take a set of symbols and apply a strict, religious-like approach to it. But from an individual perspective, how does somebody
1: begin to to do that on their own without the doctrine? Yeah. Um, first, let me say uh, I am not necessarily anti-doctrine uh, i think there's a lot of wisdom in it um when it's not being uh um used in a a, a very limited and restricted and um uh dog dogmatic there it
0: is yeah uh, <laughs> that's a way. really that alone is a really interesting topic so let's i, I almost want to put a pin in that and we'll circle back around sure. to that
1: um But I mean, I I think first of all, it is uh, to be able to allow uh, the experience of a symbol, an image, um, uh, an experience of some kind to have an impact. We are very uh, again, we're sort of uh conditioned with this idea of where there's a will, there's a way and 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 you know we should be mastering things and and uh, uh, getting on top of things and driving things through our own efforts. The symbolic life is a kind of reversal of that where we let other experiences have an initiative. Make a demand uh call in some way, and so those things that uh, uh, have a uh, a particular pull or particular uh hook for somebody are very valuable, but there's also a need to to be able to be uh um to develop a kind of literacy around the symbolic um, to to develop a lively imagination. You know, I think uh, imagination is uh, um, is in danger in many ways um, where uh, the the experience of an inner life that just kind of spontaneously arises. And imagination's not about thinking up weird and and outrageous things. It's about uh, something that has a spontaneity and uh, speaks to us. And and it comes out in the form of stories and games and uh, poetry and prayer and song and all of these different ways. Um, And so we need a sensitivity for the symbolic, first of all, and an ability to sit with things and let them impinge upon us. Um, to, To be able to read a poem, Uh, even a fairy tale or a piece of scripture and let it kind of get under your skin and bug you a little bit and disturb you a little bit or intrigue you and to sit with it until it starts to disclose itself. And, And this actually... Happens. It starts to suggest things, and we, we feel that subjectively as like, oh, oh, that's what that means. And, and we, we think we've come up with an idea when actually something has, it's as if something has visited us, something has uh, shown us something about itself.
0: Yeah, I can I can speak to that. Well, we, the way that you the way that you talk about something calling to you, mm-hmm. some, something that like the I can speak to the way that I experienced that throughout my whole life. There's been this thing that's told me like I need to write. I need to write mm. books, I need to write stories. Mm-hmm. And um I had to put that voice off for a long time because of other you know, the way that I was approaching life. Yeah. But then to then get to the point in my life now where I sit, where where I have the time it's more like I've finally made the time.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: and I sit down and I do it. and then that other half of what you're talking about, that imagination, that creative effort, that connection with the symbols, and then really what you said about not not um, forcing them or not like... it's very strange when I sit down to write, if I try too hard to write what I want to write, right? nothing yeah. gets written. Yeah. You have to sit and wait for the thing to come up for the – and it really right. does feel – the more I've gotten into the Carl Jung in this world of the subconscious and the conscious, and then also, I was actually listening to one of your episodes, um, and you were talking about how in neuroscience, they have, they just have different languages for these things, like the right. the – I think you called it the inherent memory system or something yeah the, implicit memory, the implicit memory system so uh it's almost as if you you really do have to sit there it calls to you and so you have to go to it and sit and wait and yeah. then it'll and then it comes little by little like little trickles at a time right. comes up to you right. and then you go oh
1: okay yeah right right and and that sitting and waiting is is crucial uh, i i i have the same experience that that you're talking about where if if I'm pushing on something and I'm trying uh, i don't know if this happens to you but there there are moments where I'm writing and it it just is boring me to death it's just it's just yeah uh, i, I want to just uh, fall asleep <laughs> and, and i realize i'm i'm not paying attention i'm not listening and it's when, in those moments, when I wait, something almost extravagant will come forward. And as soon as I hear myself going, oh, man, can I say that? Then I know I'm on the right track. Something has come forward. Yeah. Um, I want to be... A little bit nervous, maybe even scared about what's coming up.
0: Yeah. Because then, because, because then it really is you accepting that it's not entirely you or not entirely your conscious self that's in control. I think it's, it's really interesting. I think there are so many creators, artists, writers, musicians, movie makers, painters that will say, they'll They'll repeat kind of the same sentiment that that it's not necessarily necessarily them but they're more of like a channel for this thing mm-hmm. and yeah. in a, in a way you know if we talk about <laughs> we talk about wanting to be religious beings or like being religious beings, I often think about um i don't know if my Latin's correct, but I think of humans as homo religiosa like we' mm-hmm. we're the we call ourselves homo sapiens, which I think means intelligent, but really I think I think we're just as much this thing that needs these answers. Right. And I almost think about it like children because when I had when I had my kids, obviously having kids teaches you a lot about people. And when I had my kids, I remember having my son and we were we lived near this canyon and we would drive up the canyon like on the weekends to go play in the stream or go to the park. And up high on the canyon wall there was this cliff face and there was like a there's like a door way up high on the cliff face Uh my best guess i've never researched it but my best guess is it had something to do with the water system it was like Uh access to a water system or something Uh, because there was a lot of snow and water that came through there i didn't have an answer and i never googled it so i never had an answer of what this door really was and my son Uh um just being small i think he was four or five years old observing him not be able to sit without an answer. Not be able to say like, there's something there and I don't understand it. And it almost seems like the... That's the survival mechanism in the child brain to say like, I need to know an answer. And then if they don't know the answer, they really need the adults to know the answer. <laughs> and so, if, they, if they're not getting this, they just keep pushing and pushing and pushing. And it's pretty easy to see that same impulse in the world of symbology and in the world of worship and the world of, you know, religion.
1: Yeah, I think that desire to know, to make sense, to be able to complete a story. I mean, we, I think we go different ways in figuring out how to, to know and how to be satisfied with Particular answers. Certainly, that's part of the impulse with the scientific mind to know and to to understand.
0: In a Um, a strange way, that's how science and religion—they're they're they're siblings.
1: They're they're twins almost. absolutely, absolutely. But they're they're looking in different directions. And and the idea that they are—you know—I think one of the things that the more fundamentalist end of both disciplines science and religion gets wrong about religion is that religion is seen as some kind of proto-science that people were trying to make explanations in the same way that Mm, science is i see yeah and therefore the new explanations should replace the old ones because they're old and wrong and people were stupid but the old explanations weren't about the physical world. They were about the spiritual world. They were about the psychological world.
0: Yeah. And I, I almost think about it as like the the world that only the humans exist in. Everything else exists outside of this.
1: Right. Right. And and the, you know, it's it, it it's a there's a phrase that's attributed to Joseph Campbell. I don't know if he ever said it, the, the mythologist who said that myth, myths are those describe those things that never were but always are yeah right they're they are they're fundamental truths now not sometime in the past they're not history except that they're sacred history um, which is different than chronological history one of the one of the things about i mean i i i think i agree with you about Homo religioso, that there is a a way in which we are always looking beyond ourselves, always looking to what we, to the edges of our experience, and always um, on some level struggling with the question of uh, where do we come from? Yeah. Why are we here? Where are we going? Yeah, those are the big
0: questions. It's, right? it's pretty fascinating, though, because, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, I actually read a lot of Joseph Campbell, or just recently, I've just completed his um, mass of God series. Oh, yeah. And yeah. so that, that um, it's really fascinating, because it talks about how in the early days of humans, the human species, the worship was focused on the outer world of plants and animals (laughs) and then with agriculture and large-scale societies it shifts to the solar system and now we have calendars and everything's run on days we have and then as the we go through the, the garden of eden path in the west and we end up with this religion that's focused not on plants and animals and not on the solar system but on some individual and from that, indivi- that, from that God being an individual, the world that we now exist in today is that we all are trying to figure out how to worship an individual. And it's evolved from being an individual in the sky to being the individual inside of all of us.
1: Yeah. And Jung, uh, Jung's idea about depth psychology was that uh, he said it's a symptom of Kind of the collapse of religious structures that would hold the uh, the those the archetypal projections and now it falls back on the individual. We would never have thought to look in our own psyches for this right, right. but now we don 't really have a choice
0: <laughs> there's a part of me that in reading some of the early stuff uh, of of the not early stuff, but description of early spirituality as best that they can discern it, it seems like from the very beginning there were individuals, there were parts of groups who became maybe the shaman or maybe the spiritual guide or something like that who were experiencing something akin to this individuation. Mm and it's it's almost as if we've gone through this huge story just to get back to the point where where it's like oh we there's the way i almost see it is that there are two there are actually only two sets of humanity there's the individual and there's the species and every single thing in between every other category or layer or you know sectioning off whether it be nations religions schools families communities those are all aberrations that exist mm. between the individual and the species as a whole. And it seems um, it seems like, I think everybody probably wants their religion or the religion that they've come from to have been some form of true system. And so, true. there's probably a, a part of us that wants... Or at least of me, and I've talked about this with some other guests, there's a part of me, especially growing up in a religious system that really wanted it to be true and just wanted it to to all go in that direction. But there's something about the Christian myth where it, it seemed to have broke down fairly quickly and started heading in these directions that required almost like an escape from the Christian myth.
1: Well, it's it's all very tricky, right? I mean, I'm tempted to say, when you say oh I wanted it to be true, is to say, well, of course it is. And so is that one, and so is that one, right. and that they are all complete uh expressions of the human being. Right. In fact, uh, you know, one of the I think one of the struggles and I use in the book, I use um, Joseph Campbell's kind of breakdown of the four functions of myth, and I talk about them in the book as sort of four yeah. functions of religion.
0: that's actually that you bring that up. That's actually the pin that i that I wanted to come back to is when you were saying that there is usefulness in the doctrine or in the yeah. dogma that's that's the exact thing I wanted to bring up was those
1: four yeah, yeah and and, and one of them is the soci- sociological function. So there's the mystical function where you're open to awe. There's the, uh, the psychological dimension or the, the, the uh, personal transformational dimension where you are guided through uh, your own growth as an individual by the, uh, by the religion or the myth. There is um, uh, the sociological function. Which I think is the place where things are starting to well, not starting, things have been breaking down for a while. yeah because the sociological function is the myth or the religion ties a person together with their community, right And that works really well when the community is a small um, uh, unified community. Yeah. It becomes a problem in a global environment where uh, all of these communities start clashing with each other and it's impossible to it's impossible to hold, say, uh, uh, an experience within the Christian tradition without knowing that there are these other expressions. And therefore, uh, if that is true, and the only thing that is true, these large swaths of humanity are cut off from truth, yeah, and they're cut off from salvation. And that's some people uh, are comfortable with that, but uh, I think for many, if not most of us, and, and the, maybe the declining numbers in religion speak to this, that's unbearable to have yeah. most of humanity not included somehow in truth
0: yeah yeah there's um the the i think that the reason that people get caught up in that is the the other purpose of myth is to create <laughs> a literal history or to to have a literal interpretation and right. you know that's the world i grew up in is in the world of literal interpretation and so the world of literal interpretation says that there is an authority who tells you what you must do in order to come back to this authority or have peace or happiness. And um, in that sense, it's, and Joseph Campbell repeats this over and over and over, but his whole contention is that when myth becomes literal, it all the symbology dries up and it dies. And it also... Right. Be, for the people, for the individuals in the religion, the symbology dries up, and they don't get that connection to spirituality. And then it does become what you're talking about: this thing where I really want my thing to be true. I don't. I don't want. I don't even want your thing to be true. I only want my right. thing to be true. And that's like right. that's obviously the opposite of this openness or this mystical kind of view of the world that we need. Where the truth is that all of these religions have stories that have a have a similar through line they they're all trying like you're saying trying to do the same thing for the initiates in the
1: religion right right and you know all the mystics and all the traditions knew and know that none of our ideas of god ever encompass god that uh it's impossible to ever uh, um, have an idea and a, and a knowing of the transcendent dimension, because then it is just an object of knowledge in our heads. It's in us and and we are not enveloped in some larger experience and the thing about you know jung's definition of symbol comes in here cuz the symbol for jung is the best possible expression of something that cannot be expressed in any other way so the symbol the image of the virgin birth is not the same as the the thing that it is expressing right and yet It is intimately tied to it. It connects us in a relationship to whatever the profound meaning of a virgin birth might mean. Um, But if it's a historical event that happened once, uh, then it's something that we can be interested in, but does it actually impact? our life in this moment right now, Um, but if it is a a symbol, right, Uh, you know, and the mystics will talk about, uh, unless you make a manger of your heart, Christ cannot be born, Uh, that's the symbolic dimension where it's happening in your own uh, engagement somehow, with the universe and whatever that means to make a manger of your heart who knows uh you have to have the experience yeah (laughs)
0: even that though the manger of your heart is just a representation of a deeper idea that we can't actually conceptualize exactly yeah exactly
1: we're 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 brought to a, a a horizon beyond which we can't see yeah right but the 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 um the symbol directs us towards that place where all words, all concepts, all sounds cease, and we just enter into a kind of uh, uh, uh communion of some of some kind um, and that's the that's the place where the religious experience uh can be very challenging because it's it 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 thwarts the desire to know yeah it leaves us with more questions than answers uh and in some way religion is more properly properly understood probably as a question addressed to the universe and not an answer about it right um and and, and we don't know and we're we're left in this place of an experience of the mystery, which is real, but we can't necessarily describe it to our neighbor. Uh, it's more like you had to be there. yeah, hopefully you will. yeah yeah, yeah.
0: Um, it's almost It's almost why it's wise counsel to be to beware of false prophet, or to beware right. of anybody who's going around talking about how you can achieve this experience even right. even uh listening to one of your podcasts i remember you saying and i think you say this more than once uh probably often but just saying that there is no path and i think you were even quoting jung but if there if you're following a path that somebody else has
1: laid out for you you're on the wrong path right right yes as, as soon as you're doing it right doing it the right way and following the right steps not that the steps aren't helpful yeah, uh, but if you're doing it right, you're probably doing it wrong. Again, Jung is very clear about this about methods. He says uh, the right method used by the wrong person works in the wrong way. You can't. The method is not the thing. Yeah, the personal engagement with the task is the thing, uh, and and unless you are uh, Exposing yourself and participating in it, you're not going to uh, have the encounter, and the, you can only do that ultimately on your own. Someone can kind of point you in the direction uh, and say, "Over there," uh, but ultimately you got to walk over there and and find it.
0: Yeah. Well, Jason, we are right at an hour and i think that's actually a really great place to wrap up because I, I think what you said there was very well said well cons- like very concise uh yeah there there's uh i think this is it's we're we're participating in a, the evolution of a new myth and this is yeah. this is the version of it and when i look around in the world where especially in the western world i don't know much about eastern creators but when i look in the western world everybody who seems to be whether it's they've achieved some kind of self-actualization or they've achieved fame or they've achieved money. There's just all these people just doing what they want to do, doing what they love and Mm. not doing it the way that other people do it, not doing it for other people, people who would sit at a desk and create or go here and create whether or not other people were aware of it. And um, I I just see it as like the new, this is the new path and and it's going to be different for everybody. And that's, the thing that we have to accept.
1: Yeah, I I, I think that's that's right. I, I think that's right. Um and it takes willingness and courage to go off in those strange trips that you don't know why, but you're called. Yeah. And you gotta go. Yeah.
0: Well awesome Jason, this was fantastic. Again, I'm a big fan of the podcast. Um thank you. Where where can people find your content online, your website, your social media, books, podcasts, where can they find you? Uh,
1: so uh, for the podcast, uh, anywhere that uh, you get your podcast, if you search Digital Jung," you will find it. The book is uh, published by Chiron Publications. It's religious, but not religious uh, is the title. Um, my own website is uh, JungianTherapist.net, uh, and I have links to the book. I have links to the podcast there uh, uh, and a little bit of other content as well.
0: Okay, fantastic. And I'll be sure when I post to copy all of that into the show notes as well, so that'll go out. Cool, buddy.
1: Okay. Thank well, you. thank
0: you. Thank you uh, again, and uh, goodbye. Yeah. Thanks, Josh. Bye, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Explorer Poet Podcast, exploring the blurry line between our physical world and our abstract realities. I hope you find this and every episode worthwhile. To find links to my guest websites and social media accounts, and for all Explorer Poet content, please visit my website, explorerpoet.com. You can also follow on Instagram at Explorer Poet or on Twitter at Explorer Poet Pod. If you have comments or suggestions, please send an email to explorerpoet at gmail.com. Please follow and rate the podcast on your favorite app. And if you really, really want to be supportive, please share an episode with a friend. Thanks again.